You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Have I therefore become your enemy? He says, because I tell you the truth. What a great passage for our day. Oh, you tell me the truth. You're a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover. If I don't tell you the truth, I'm a hater. If I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. If I don't love you, sayonara. God bless. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Have a great train wreck. But if I love you, I'm going to say, you know what? You may never talk to me again, but I'm going to tell you the truth. We hear so many different teachers, speakers, and orators and so many different media in our current culture. Because of this, we often find ourselves getting sucked into things we want to hear as opposed to what we need to hear. Today, Pastor Jeff wants to remind you that you need to ignore the fleeting teachings of this world and focus on God's Word. You shouldn't be going to a church because you like what they say. Fixate your gaze on messages that matter and leave the useless wisdom of this world behind. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Abba, Father. Who has bewitched the American people? Having been blessed by God in the beginning, given the greatest nation on the earth, now we kick God out of every public arena, tell him we don't need him, and we wonder why or where he was when children are slaughtered in schools. Excuse me, didn't we ask him to leave? Here we go. Abba Father is a gentleman. He will not force himself on you. Now, Paul turns to their betrayal of the gospel of grace that he had first preached to them and under which they had been saved. He says in verse 8, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. How many of you had an idol in your life, B.C.? The rest of you need to wake up because you did. You had something. Have you ever seen a rock concert? Have you ever been to a rock concert? Have you ever watched the way they are worshipped by that crowd? Oh, yeah, we we had an idol. We we all had an idol. And he's saying to them, you serve things which it ended up were not even gods. Now, the apostle is taking them back to the way they were. They had served gods that were not real, false gods idols. And they had been raw pagans, worshiping gods of their own making. And you and I, we came out of paganism. People say to me, what were you raised in? I say, paganism. I was pagan. Some of you were raised in church, but you were little pagans in church. You were there singing the hymns and all of that. But during the week, you was a pagan, right? Now, here's the deal. He's saying to the Galatians, you were serving things that were not gods. And let me show you what the psalmist says about idols in Psalms 115. He says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, they don't hear you. Noses they have, but they don't have smell. They don't smell anything. Now, He's obviously talking about these little idols that we have all seen in movies and whatnot, where idolaters make these little figurines, these little wooden idols, and they got ears and they got eyes and they have noses and mouths, but they can't speak, hear, taste, or see. They're dead. They're meaningless. And yet they worship them. The psalmist goes on. They have hands, but they don't handle. 
They have feet, but they don't walk. They do not mutter through their throat. In other words, they can't talk to you. Those who make them are exactly like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Now, it might surprise many people to know that just because they don't worship some little figurine does not mean they're not idolaters. Idolatry is the practice of putting anything in the place of God in your life. Now, let me go back and say that again. Because you can be a believer and get an idol. Some of you, it's American Idol. But there's an idol out there. Isn't it funny? People want to be an idol. I want to be America's idol. Uh, America's idol. I don't. I want America to find the real Christ. But watch this. Idolatry is the practice of putting anything in the place of God in your life. If Jesus isn't number one, something is. And whatever is number one instead of him is an idol, if I can be real blunt. If, if Jesus is not number one, first place, preeminent, Lord of your life, something else is, and it may just be you. You may be the idol. Money can be the idol. Fame can be the idol. Achievement can be the idol. Another human being can be an idol. It's the practice of putting anything in the place of God in your life. We can worship money, sex, fame, self, gods of other religions. And that's idolatry. And an interesting passage in Revelations reveals that at the end of time, men are going to be addicted to idolatry. Watch this. This is Revelations, the end of time, right before God wraps up history as we have known it. It says, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship what? Worship demons and idols. Look at this. Idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. All of these judgments are falling all around them, and yet they still refuse to repent. And look what he reveals. John, by the Spirit of God, in the end of time, men will still be worshiping idols of wood and silver and gold. That could be talking about money. That could be talking about your bank account. That could be talking about a 401k. That can be talking about anything that has taken the place of God. And it's alive and well when Jesus comes. Idolatry. So idolatry is not just a phenomenon taking place in the dark shadows of some isolated African village steeped in superstition and voodoo. Idolatry is alive and well right now. See, we're all going to worship something. Now, what I'd like to ask you and ask the radio audience is, what are you worshiping? Not just on a weekend, but Monday through Friday, what is preeminent in your heart and mind? The Bible says, let a man examine himself and see if he be in the faith. And do you know that I could go into a lot of churches, a lot of, a lot of buildings that have church on the outside, maybe denominational, They may be huge. They may have tons of money, beautiful structure. But I could go in there and talk about making Jesus Lord, and they would throw me out. 
So used to, I never even thought about asking a church crowd, have you examined yourself to see if you're in the faith? Is the Lord Jesus Christ number one in your life? Or are we worshiping something else? I think America is worshiping a lot of things, but not God. And I don't believe this stuff that 90% say they're Christian. I want to know what Bible they read. What Bible are they reading? They're not reading my Bible. Idolatry is alive and well right now. There's people getting up every day worshiping something other than him. Paul is saying to the Galatians, that's the way you were. But you were slaves to idols, but then Jesus set you free. Can we just thank the Lord he set us free? Go ahead and praise him. Thank God that he set you free. He has set us free. Now, he says in verses 9 to 10, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it you turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? He said, what are you doing? You were saved by grace, saved by the blood, and now you're going back to the way you were. God forbid. If you're a believer, you're different. You think different, walk different, talk different, act different. You are different. He says, here's the deal. Look at what you're doing. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, when he talks about the weak and the beggarly elements, what does that mean? You, you have gone back to the, to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire going to be in bondage. What does that mean? The weak and beggarly, beggarly elements refers to the barest rudiments of revealed truth, the elementary stage of God's dealings with men. It was the same as a grown man used to eating steak and roast beef only to return to strain baby food. Can you imagine some friends calling you and saying, hey, you want to go out to eat this Friday? Yeah, where do you want to go? Hey, we got some excellent baby food at home. We got carrots, we got peaches, we've got, hey, it is good stuff. You say, wait a minute, no, no, no. You're talking to a grown adult. I want steak. Take me to Del Frisco. Take me to Saltgrass. I want steak. I have teeth. I eat real food. Paul is saying, Galatians, you ought to be eating real food. But you're going back to strain baby food. What are you doing? Paul now sees Judaism. Look at how he's viewing Judaism. And it's legalism as so completely obsolete, he uses contemptuous words, weak, beggarly, to describe it. It's important, says Paul, to do anything for you. Grace has saved you. Or it's, it's impotent, rather, says Paul, to do anything for you. Grace has saved you, not law. And folks, that's the way we ought to look at our past. There's nothing back there. Now, I don't know what your background is, but we've all got one. We all came out from somewhere. And I guarantee you, on one level or another, it was sinful. We should never look back at that and say, you know, I should mix a little bit of what I knew with what I know now. I should mix a little bit of paganism with Christianity. A little bit of, you know, I've been a little 
too churchy. I've been too little, a little bit too religious. Uh, I need to loosen up some and, and kind of begin to return to what I used to do. No, you ought to look at it with contempt. Because it killed you, almost killed you, almost took you to hell. There's nothing there for you. There's nothing in your past. The Red Sea has closed behind you. The enemy of your soul has been destroyed by the cross. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to ever return to. The only position and direction for a Christian is forward. And that's it. So Paul is saying, what are you doing going back, man? What's wrong with you? Grace saved you, not law. And this is what the Galatians have been willing to exchange for the glorious adoption as sons that set them in the royal family of heaven. How is it you turn again? Paul wants to know. The beguiled Galatians have begun to observe days and months and times and years. These kinds of things are what regulated Old Testament faith. They had actually taken up the Jewish religious calendar again as a guide for their godliness. (laughs) They had begun observing the annual feasts and the fast days, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, tabernacles, and Purim were on their radar screen again. Paul's saying, what are you doing? Jesus obliterated all of that. Jesus buried all of that. Jesus did away with all that. All these things had absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. Paul expresses deep concern. He said, I'm afraid for you. Now, paraphrased, you're freaking me out. You're freaking me out. Lest I have labored for you in vain. And now he's starting to think, did I waste my time with these people? Have they really let it all go? Was all this work that I did for nothing? Some of his children in the faith were in danger of apostasy. Apostasy, here's what it is, is the sin of knowing the truth and deliberately turning away from it to embrace a lie. In the latter days, said Paul by the Spirit, men shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That's what he's talking about, apostasy. You knew Christ. You knew the blood. You knew the word. You knew who he was. And yet now you're leaving that to go to an idol, to a false teaching, a false doctrine, a false philosophy, a false God. That's apostasy. Yet others were in danger of being deceived in the Galatian church. Although not losing their salvation, they were in danger of being trapped in a life of defeat and discouragement and disappointment. Paul said, I don't want to see that for you. Once you know Jesus, it's Jesus, 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 and more Jesus. The apostle will use anything legitimate to turn them back. You read Galatians, and I hope you are. Um, go through it in your devotional times, you'll find he uses doctrine. He uses reproof. He uses sarcasm. He uses divine logic, and he uses scripture. But he's also going to make a personal appeal based on the love they had for him. Now he's about to make it personal. 
He says in verses 12 through 16, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You're injuring yourself, is what he's saying. You know that because of of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Wow. He said, I want you folks who are listening to these Judaizers and going back to that old dead religion, I want you to remember the way you and I were together. You loved me. You received me like I was an angel. You received me like I was the second best thing to Jesus Christ. We had had it going on spiritually. I was your apostle, your preacher, your pastor, the man of God God gave to you, and you loved me. And he reminds them that when he preached to them, he had a trial in his flesh. And we're going to read about it right now. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, this has caused huge controversy. Many commentators believe many different things. Good men believe different things. We don't know what the problem was, except we know that Paul, when he wrote with his hand, he wrote huge because he really had terrible vision. And yet there was something more when he went to Galatia. There was something that he was dealing with that had to do with his eyes that was actually repulsive, revolting. Uh, you, You had a tendency to turn away and not look. Don't know what it was. We could probably get an ophthalmologist in here and say, what do you think it was? And he could give us some real good ideas. But it was an affliction. Paul said it was a trial. And he said, in spite of a revolting physical affliction, you receive me like an angel. You love me anyway. It didn't matter to you. And if you could have, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given me an eye transplant. It's love. See what he's doing? He's saying, you, have you forgotten me? Paul, remember You love me. What are you doing listening to these false teachers? Have I therefore become your enemy? He says, because I tell you the truth. What a great passage for our day. Oh, you tell me the truth. You're a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover. If I don't tell you the truth, I'm a hater. If I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. If I don't love you, sayonara, God bless Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Have a great train wreck. But if I love you, I'm going to say, you know what? You may never talk to me again, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Paul says to them, if I become your enemy because I'm jumping in now and telling you that you're about to apostatize, that you're about to walk away from the faith, that you're about to lose it all, he said, I don't think so. Paul is bringing to their memory that when he preached the gospel to them, he'd been handicapped by some kind of an illness. Just kind of repeating a little bit here. We don't know what it was, except it did affect his eyesight. 
They would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to him. He reminds them of just how much they had loved him. You did not despise or reject me, he says. Frankly, the text suggests that not only was the affliction a sore trial to Paul, but was of such a nature as would be repulsive to others, yet they had received him as an angel of God. In light of these things, has he now become their enemy because he tells them the truth of what they have done, where they're going, what the consequence is going to be? I'm loading up for bear. I can't tell you. I, I can't express it fully. I am loading up for bear. I, by God's grace, we're going to speak to as much of this nation this year as we possibly can. And I'm loading up for bear. I'm studying that Bible inside out. I'm studying the, the different arguments they're presenting against God and against God in public and against the, the sheer wisdom of God. I'm loading up for bear to answer it, and I'm going to tell the truth. The truth. Because, man, I'll tell you, truth is on the endangered species list in America anymore. Somebody's got to tell the truth. And I guarantee you Jesus did, the apostles did, and the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to tell the truth. Now, love tells the truth. We're told in today's culture to be tolerant of others, which translated has come to mean, don't judge the lifestyles of others. If you do, it's hateful. Who are you to judge my lifestyle? Because your truth is yours and mine is mine. And what I consider true is true for me. And what you consider true is true for you. Don't cramp my style with your truth. The reason we're there is because of relativism. Everything is relative. We have done away with the whole idea that there's any such thing as an absolute, eternal, unchanging, unbowing truth. But there is. There is an ultimate truth, and it comes from the mouth of God, and it's in the Bible. So, but the watchword for today is tolerant. Be tolerant. You got to be tolerant of everything and everybody. Don't say a word about anybody's lifestyle. The doctrine of tolerance is live and let live. That is, unless you happen to be a Christian. Have you noticed that? Then it's okay to hate and judge and criticize and castigate and condemn. Matter of fact, Christians are the only fair game in America anymore. You can't criticize Islam. You can't criticize homosexuality. You can't criticize lesbianism. You can't criticize humanism. You can't criticize any of the idols our culture has selected to worship. But you can criticize a Christian. You can tear them apart, call them bigots and haters and everything under the sun. Oh, our nation is in so much trouble, church. But Paul would disagree as far as truth, not or love not being truthful, he would disagree. He would say love tells the truth because the truth brings freedom. Let's stand together, can we? How many of you know that truth brings freedom? It does, doesn't it? Amen. I want us to pray tonight and, you know, thank God that he really has buried our past behind us. There really isn't anything back there. 
We are dead with Christ and our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we're to live like it and walk like it and think like it and talk like it and share it. Regardless of your family life, it's safe to say that we all love the feeling of having a father figure look over us. Whether it's our biological parent or a trusted family friend, nothing beats having someone who can look out for us. Today we learned from Pastor Jeff that if you want to be part of a family that will love you no matter what you've done, you need to let God be the father figure in your life. He wants nothing more than to be your greatest comforter. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Have you ever felt insecure about what happens after this life? Have you ever wondered where you're headed after your time on earth is up? Next time on Hardwired, Pastor Jeff explains that if you want to be sure in your place in eternity, you need to surrender yourself to the Lord. He has always had you on His heart and mind and wants to deliver you from the empty promises of mankind. Enter into the joy of the Lord and be set free from your burdens. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.